Hello again, Gary Zacharias here with The Apologist Bookshelf. I want to look again at Mark Middleberg's book called The Questions Christians Hope No One Will Ask, and then parentheses with answers. <laughs> That's good, huh? Uh, chapter 3 is uh, good. It says, here's the question, why trust the Bible, a book based on myths and full of contradictions and mistakes? Well, we hear that a lot today. Well, it's an old book, and if you get into it, you find nothing but headaches, a bunch of contradictions and all. So he starts off and he says, here's some better-known gospel contradictions, and then he takes them on. He does some other things in this chapter that I think are really interesting. For example, what was really written on the cross above Jesus' head? Every gospel has something slightly different. Number two, how many angels were at Jesus' tomb after the resurrection? One or two? Case three. Question three, how many blind men greeted Jesus outside Jericho? One is mentioned in one place, two are mentioned in another place. Number four, how many demon-possessed men did Jesus meet in the region of the Gadarenes? Five, how many donkeys did Jesus ride on as he entered Jerusalem? Six, did that centurion outside Capernaum ask Jesus to heal his servant, or was it someone else who came to Jesus? Seven, how did Judas die? Okay, well... He takes that on. He said, uh, if you look at him, actually you find something a little different is going on. So sometimes we get sources that are slightly incomplete. Uh, uh, let's go through them again. That's, that's easier. So he says, case one, sign on the cross. It says, the Gospels were correct, but they're incomplete. Each had a part of the statement. And the key, the key part that all of them had was king of the Jews. So it said... Uh, Sometimes it might be because they had different translations on the cross, on the uh, statement there. It says, so each one was accurate as far as doing part of the statement uh, together. Let's, let's take a look at his other cases. He says, what about how many angels were at the tomb, the blind men, the demon-possessed man, the donkeys? And uh, Middleburg says, okay, I walk out of a room and I say, there's a chair in there. You walk right in, you go, there are 10 chairs in there. Well, those statements don't conflict. You're just giving more details. Notice I didn't say there's only one chair, just that there's a chair. So uh, the story of the resurrection, if there are two angels, there obviously was one. Okay, so that's how you solve a lot of those things. How about case six, that centurion? Did he come to Jesus or did he send somebody else? Maybe he sent delegates. That could be. But they're speaking on his behalf. So we could, I guess, see it as the centurion saying what the delegates said. So that's happened today. It's often reported that the president said something when actually it was a press secretary or some other emissary. Then number seven, what about the death of Judas? It says, looks like two different accounts, and that seems to be a challenge. Did he fall to his death? Uh, did he hang himself? It says, well, here's an interesting way to talk to a skeptic. It said, let's take a look. Um, I'm going to skip over a couple of pages here. This is not a pretty picture. <laughs> says, this is a possibility at least, but we're not sure. But he went out on a field, he found a tree by a rocky cliff and uh, hanged himself. And then, either because of that part about dying on there, that he was kicking around or the branch broke or whatever, that the body tumbled down into the rocks below. But it does fit those um, two different ways of seeing things. So, to me, and I think to a lot of people, that's kind of a non-starter to worry about the Bible and that. Let's move beyond that, though, because I like the rest of the chapter uh, even more. He said, 
And maybe we should be wise to call some people their bluff by asking them to be specific. Like, you say the Bible's full of mistakes and contradictions. Which one bothers you the most? What mistakes and contradictions have you found? And you know what's going to happen? A lot of the people have just heard that there are problems. They're, they haven't really looked themselves. So he said, uh, sometimes Mark Middleberg will say, I'll ask people, is there something in your life that you're afraid you'd have to change or give up if the Bible turns out to be what it claims, the Word of God? Oh. So in other words, maybe their questions, their concerns, their uh, challenges are spiritual smoke screens, he says. He says, many people finally let down their guard, begin to open up about what's holding them back spiritually. And uh, Mark says, be sure to listen and sensitively talk to them about those issues. So it may not have anything to do with what they think is wrong with the Bible. It's what's going on in their life. And he says, actually, the Bible has withstood the test of time and uh, is, is, has done very well, even with these challenges here. He said, let's talk about eight common objections to the Bible. Okay, so these are not contradictions, but just other objections that people raise. And I think this is really powerful. So here's objection number one. The Bible is really old. It's written by illiterate people, so we can't trust it. Well, good point here. Middleburg says every age has gullible people and discerning people. Churches have them. Scientific community has them. So just the fact that the Bible came about in ancient times doesn't have any bearing on whether it's gullible people or not. And he says, consider what Second Peter 1 says. We weren't making up clever stories, he said. So John, in First John, he says, we proclaim to you the one who existed. We saw him. So we're getting direct statements that you can trust what they have to say. And it says, consider this, in the years when the New Testament was being written, the church wasn't widely accepted. People were losing their lives because of their association with Christianity. Who dies for something that they know is false? Like the disciples, right? They, they went to their deaths, but they never uh, said any of this stuff was false. They kept proclaiming these truths, even if they were dying. Here's objection number two. The Bible is written too far after the events to be considered reliable. In other words, you have an event and you have years and years and years going by. So now you got mythology creeping in and people's memories are fading and things like that. Well, Mark says, let's go back to 1 Corinthians. That was written around AD 56. Okay, so what is what happens in 1 Corinthians? Well, look in chapter 15. This is Paul talking. I passed on to you what was most important, what had also been passed on to me. Christ died for our sins. I'm going to skip a little bit. He was buried. He was raised. He was seen by Peter, then the 12. He was seen by more than 500, and on and on. So what's Paul doing there? He's quoting from something that he didn't create. He got a creedal teaching that he had received it. It was a primitive catechism. Think of it that way. And some people believe that Paul got this creed from Peter and James when he visited them three years after his conversion. When was that? Within five years of the crucifixion. It's already a creed, which means eyewitnesses had that even earlier. Here's a New Testament scholar who says, this tradition, we can be entirely confident, was formulated as tradition within months of Jesus' death. Lee Strobel called it a newsflash from ancient history. So that's interesting. Look how far back so we don't have the events of Jesus and then tons of years going by before anybody 
thought about what really happened. They they already had it in creeds and written down. Um, Luke starts off, many people have uh, set out to write accounts about these events, and they used eyewitnesses, and he said he's doing the same thing. So it says there are also non-biblical writings that corroborate what the New Testament teaches. It's kind of interesting. There's actually a very early portrayal of Jesus. It's a piece of crude graffiti, and it depicts a man. It's a, to be an insult to Jew, to Christians and Jesus. It depicts a man with a donkey's head being crucified and another man standing to one side with his hand stretched out. And underneath it's written, Alexamenos worships his God. And they, the early Christians' teaching about a crucified Jesus was seen as stupid and crazy. And that's the image. But at least it's satire that says, hey, guess what? Early Christians, the early Christians who are monotheists, they're worshiping Jesus. And they found two inscriptions on ossuaries. Those are little bone boxes where they put their dead. Dated no later than A.D. 50, there are prayers addressed to Jesus asking for help from him. How is it that if Jesus never lived or didn't rise from the dead, in within 20 years after his death, people are praying to him? And there are also non-biblical sources from Josephus and Tacitus and Pliny, and they're mentioning all sorts of things about, that back up what the New Testament says. Gary Habermas, and I love his work, he said there are 39 ancient sources outside the Bible, that's the key thing, that provide over 100 facts about Jesus' life, teaching, death, and resurrection, and archaeology uh, goes for the claims of the Bible and seems to reinforce them. So this idea that the Bible was written too far after the events, no, nah, not really. Here's objection number three. Well, even if it was accurate at first, the Bible was copied and translated, and it's been totally corrupted. Well, you know what they're thinking of? They're thinking of like that game Telephone, where one kid tells another kid, tells another kid, tells another kid, and they whisper it, and it's totally different, garbled by the end. But that's not what happened here. That's not what happened at all. The Today's Bible that we have are based on ancient texts, not translations hundreds of years later. And uh, there's a huge emphasis in the ancient world for oral culture and very careful oral culture. And uh, so it says the record is actually astounding. The, there are very few um, problems with it that are in question, and they don't have anything to do with the meaning. They don't have uh, any parts that say Jesus was not God or that Jesus just died and that was it. There, there's nothing like that. Uh, we can trust this. I've got a if you if you want to let me know, contact me, um, gary.zacharias at gmail.com. I'll send you all sorts of stuff about the uh, trustworthiness of the Gospels. Here's objection number four that Mark talks about. The Bible has stories that sound like myths. Maybe there's some truth in there, but you can't call it history. Well, guess what they're going to come up with? Noah and the Ark, Moses parting the Red Sea, Jonah being swallowed by a whale, Jesus walking on water. Yeah. That sounds pretty fantastic, doesn't it? But Mark says, yeah, but think about science, about the Big Bang, that our huge universe all started as an infinitesimally tiny point and it burst forth. That seems pretty weird, huh? That's really strange. One person said, I think that if it had been a religion that first said that all matter had once been contained in an area smaller than a point of a pin, scientists would probably have laughed at that idea. 
So they said, there are some amazing things in the Bible, but there's some supporting evidence with credible eyewitnesses. So it says the issue really comes down to this. If God created the heavens and the earth and everything in them, is it hard to imagine that he could implant a life in a young virgin or recreate that life through a resurrection? See, that's where it comes down, doesn't it? You can laugh about some of these stories and all, but if there's no God, then of course these stories are silly. But if there's a God, if there is something behind this material world, then certainly things can happen that we would call miracles today. Here's another objection. Objection five, the New Testament has carefully chosen books and they banned others that might have really told us about Jesus. Well, that's what we heard from the Da Vinci Code. But here's the simple truth. Yeah, there are some other gospels, but they came much, much later. Uh, They're called the Gnostic gospels, especially. They don't have any ties back to the apostles of Christ. It says uh, those Gnostic documents It says they're highly sectarian. They're full of fictitious events. They don't have any historical support. They don't understand Jesus' first century Jewish context. They give an example here of the Gospel of Thomas and just some of the odd things that Gospel of Thomas has. Every female who makes herself male will enter the kingdom of heaven. What? How about this one? Blessings on the lion if a human eats it, making the lion human. Foul is the human if a lion eats it, making the lion human. Wow. Those are, those are those like Zen sayings almost, you know, it's like deep meanings there. Okay, here's objection number six. How can one religious book be right and all the others wrong? I mean, don't they all have some error and some truth? Well, what do Christians really claim about the Bible? It's fundamentally different from other holy books. Now, yeah, there are probably some truths, he says, in these other belief systems. But according to Jesus, none of those other truths lead to salvation. The Bible is way more than good advice. It teaches us about a Savior, about our need to rely on His righteousness. The Bible's got predictive prophecy, and again, I won't take the time to do that. I've mentioned a book called The Search for Messiah that uh, talks about prophecies. But you see, Zechariah 12 has prophecies that he talks about here. Uh, where Jesus would be born, Micah 5.2, being in the line of King David, that's et cetera, et cetera. So I won't, I won't talk about those, but all sorts of things about the Bible that we can look at and have trust in it. Here's one more objective. Well, there were ancient mystery religions. They talked about dying and rising gods. Isn't it likely Christians borrowed those and invented a Jesus that kind of did the same thing? Well, actually, no. It says, um, There's a a title of a book that he references here, The Gospel and the Greeks. Did the New Testament borrow from pagan thought? He says the the, the author here is a man named Nash, Ron Nash. The significant differences between the death of Jesus and the mythical deaths of the pagan deities must be coupled with the equally serious errors made by those who write of the resurrection of the mystery gods. He says, what mystery gods actually had resurrections? None. It says uh, you can't do it. There's no claim Mithras or Adonis or Attis. It says the tide of scholarly opinion has turned against attempts to make early Christianity dependent on these dying and rising gods. And uh, in fact, these stories that we get about these earlier gods, they actually seem to post-date, not predate, post-date Christianity. In other words, if there was any influence, apparently... They took their ideas from the Christian stories. So 
as Mark says toward the end of that section, if there was any borrowing going on, it was the later mystery religions that were imitating Christianity, not the reverse. How about one more objection? Since you can make the Bible say anything you want it to say, why should we give it any special credence? Doesn't it come down to just subjective opinion? He said, well, any message can be redefined or manipulated uh, the way you want it. But he says, if you talk about the Bible, people can make up what they want it to say, but it says the Bible is clear about its central message. It's very clear in the central message. So I will stop at this point. There's a, one more section here, but I think I'll save that. Uh, but the book, again, is The Questions Christians Hope No One Will Ask. Mark Middleberg is the author. He really wrestles and does an excellent job. I feel bad because I've kind of hustled past a lot of this, but he does such a great job dealing with these kinds of issues that people might raise. Uh, the other chapters that are in here are really good, too. I've already done one on homosexuality, but what about evolution? How do you know God exists? Why try to turn Jesus into the Son of God? Why is there so much evil and pain and suffering? So lots of good material in here. Uh, I hope you have a chance to take a look at the book. It'll answer a lot of your questions and your friends' questions. Okay, well, thanks, and uh, we'll do another podcast. I hope really soon you have a good day.